All right, so we're going to continue in our, uh, our series that we've, we've started. It's the book of Mark, and, and we're calling it the Mark of a Disciple. What does it look like to be a disciple? And the gospel of Mark was written by Mark, who was not an apostle, but he was very close to Peter, who was one of the apostles. And what we have in the book of Mark is eyewitness accounts of the apostle Peter. And so that helps kind of un- help us to understand why Matthew and Mark differ and why Luke is different. It's because what we have in Mark is strictly what Peter was eyewitness to or what he would have been eyewitness to. And so it kind of helps us to focus in. But also we think the book of Mark was written for the church in Rome. They needed a gospel account. They needed something that they could use to teach and to read when they gathered and learn from. And so the book of Mark was written for this church in Rome. And I believe Mark had a, had a purpose behind writing the book of Mark besides just giving them a gospel account, which he does. But I think Mark is trying to give people some encouragement to follow Christ. What does it look like to follow Jesus? What does it look like to be a disciple? And I think Mark is doing that also because the, the temperature in Rome has been turned up on Christians. And, and, and people are trying, trying to figure out what does it look like to follow Christ when things get hot? What does it look like to follow Christ when the pressure's on, when it's gonna cost me sacrificing things, maybe my family, maybe even my life? What is that gonna look like? So the book of Mark was written. And so today we're gonna talk about priorities. And it's not like your parents talking to you about priorities, but we're going to talk about priorities because isn't it true that whatever our priorities are is what we spend our time doing? Whatever our priorities are is what we make time for in our schedule, what we elevate to the top of our our to-do list. It's our priorities. Priorities carry weight. So what should the priority be for a disciple of Christ? What is the priority? And I think what we're going to see this morning as we look at the book of Mark is that the priority of a disciple is following Christ. The priority of a disciple is following Christ. So if you would, turn with me to book of Mark, chapter one, the book of Mark, chapter one. And if you don't have a Bible and would like one, there's usually about two or three on the rows in front of you. Feel free to grab one of those and uh, turn to the book of Mark, chapter one. And uh, Mark is your second gospel in your New Testament. So if you open kind of toward the back and you start seeing red letters, you're in the gospels. And then find, if you're in Matthew, keep going towards the end of the book, you'll find Mark. If you're in Luke or someone else, go back toward the beginning and find Mark. So Mark chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 14 through 20. Mark chapter 1, 14 through 20. Now after John was imprisoned, Jesus went into Galilee and proclaimed the gospel of God. He said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the gospel. As he went along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, follow me and I will turn you into fishers of people. They left their nets immediately and followed him. Going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat, mending nets. Immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. So John, which was this guy who had been on the scene to kind of point people toward Jesus and to prepare people for him, his coming. And and he was, if you remember, baptizing people with water as they were confessing their sins and, and, and getting forgiveness. And he said, but hey, there's someone else coming and he's greater than me. And in comparison to him, I'm not even worthy to be a slave. And so John was always pointing toward Jesus and we saw him kind of rise up on the scene and and he gets baptized. And now John, what we have happening in in verses 14 through 20 is John has now been taken into prison. He's kind of off the scene. And we get more details about that in, in some of the other gospels, but Mark just says he's gone. 
He's off the scene. He got taken into prison. And that's when Jesus starts his public ministry. And, and he picks up right where John left off. Because if you remember, John comes on the scene and he's pointing people towards repentance and he's pointing people toward God. And in other of the gospel accounts, Matthew and Luke, we start to see what John's message was. And it was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, Mark doesn't give us though, that specific detail about John's message. But here we have Jesus show up on the scene. And it says in verse 14, after, he was, after John was in prison, Jesus went into Galilee and proclaimed the gospel of God. I want to stop there for a minute. Gospel. We're going to have to keep defining this word because it's key. It's a key word in the book of Mark. It's a key word in any of the gospels. The gospel, the word gospel means good news. Plain and simple, it means good news. Someone could bring you a gospel and it just means good news. Now, Post the cross, after Christ's death, we have redefined the gospel. And, and in American evangelicalism, we have redefined what the gospel is. And here's what most of us think about when we think about gospel. Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again on the third day. Right? That's what Paul says, after all, in 1 Corinthians 15. This is the gospel that I've preached among you. He says that Jesus Christ died and was buried and rose again on the third day. It's important for us to understand that's not the gospel Jesus is preaching. Jesus is preaching good news, the gospel. But he's not preaching that gospel yet. Why? Because he hasn't died yet, right? All right, so he's pointing people toward the fact that he will die and that there is need for him to die. But Jesus is not going around proclaiming, hey, Jesus, that, oh, that's me. I, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna rise again. And you've got to believe in that if you want to be saved. That's not the message he's preaching. Good news is what it is. The gospel means good news. But Mark says it's the good news of God. That is good news about God and the good news from God. Either one works. It's the good news about God. It's the good news from God. Now, you and I can get good news all day long, right? It's, it's good news if it rains. It's good news if our, our team wins. Um, it's good news if we get a raise at the job or if we get a job. It's good news if, if we find someone we're going to marry and we found that person who we've searched our whole life for. All those things are good news and, and they're good. But if something is going to be the good news of God, good has to be redefined in light of God. See, because all those things that we just talked about and whatever you would consider good news, it may be good news. But when it comes to being the good news about God, it's got to go much deeper than that. See, if it's going to be good news about God, if someone's going to rise up on the scene and say, I've got good news about God, it's got to speak into darkness because this world is dark. It's got to bring light to dark places. If it's going to be the good news about God, if it's going to be the good news about God, it's got to bring hope to the hopeless. If it's going to be the good news about God, it can't just be your everyday good news. It's got to be something that's going to change the world and that's going to change and impact people who are on a downward spiral in the way we live. Good news about God has got to be something that changes that. So Jesus comes on the scene and he's preaching the good news about God. What is his good news? Look back with me at uh, verse 15. So at the end of verse 14, he says he's preaching the good news about God. And then Mark tells us this is what it was. 15, he said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the gospel. Two things that, that focused Jesus' message during his earthly ministry. Content, and a response. 
Content and a response. Now we get other things that he teaches later, but the main focus of his ministry and what Mark says, this is what he's, he's preaching, has content and a response. Let's look at the content first. The content, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is near. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is near. In order to understand that, we've got to go back to the Old Testament a little bit and understand some things. So here's, here's what we need to know to understand why the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is near is good news. When Adam and Eve were put in the garden, first people that God created, he created them to rule and to represent him. He created them, they were without sin, they were perfect, and he put them in this garden and he said, all these fruit and these trees, you may eat of it except for one. He told them which one. And he says, and the, the animals, you are to rule over the animals. So there's an order here. God creates humanity. Humanity represents God and rules for God here on earth. So God's kingdom rule, as he had designed it, was to be done through humanity over creation. That was the way it was supposed to be. Now what happened though? One day, something happened. Serpent comes on the scene. But we know later that it's Satan who was in, in, inside the serpent somehow. But the serpent, creation, creature, shows up on the scene and starts tempting and persuading Eve and humanity, right? Eat the tree that God didn't say, uh, said you can't eat from. Go eat that. Doesn't it look good? I mean, God knows that when you eat it, you're just going to get smarter anyway. He wants that for you. And he starts feeding them lies. And what happens? They eat it, right? So in this moment, here's what we have happen. God created humanity to represent and rule over creation, right? There's the order. God, humanity, creation. What happens here is the serpent tricks Eve. Eve gives in to the serpent, and now you've got things flipped. So rather than creatures, creation, submitting and being ruled by humanity, humanity has now just submitted themselves to be ruled and influenced by creatures and creation. You see that? God's rule, his plan, just got flipped. Now, God is still in control. God's ultimately, he's still ruling. But the way he had designed his rule to be expressed on the earth and to be present on the earth was through humanity ruling over creation and representing him. But when humanity submitted themselves instead to the rule of the serpent, creature, things got flipped. And ever since then, things have been flipped. And God's rule on earth is not how he had originally designed it. Let me be clear, God is still absolutely 100% in control. He is sovereign, is how we say that. He's sovereign. Now, he has allowed Satan, who was in the serpent, he's allowed him to kind of exercise some influence over the world right now. You see that in the book of Job, when, when Satan comes up with all these angels before God, and God says to Satan, hey, have you considered my servant Job? Have you seen him? You're looking for someone to tempt. Have you think, thought about tempting him? Here's what we see taking place there. God's in control. He lets Satan go a little bit. He, he gives him a little leash. He gives him a little leash. John chapter 12 tells us that Satan is the prince of this world. Ephesians chapter two says that before we were in Christ, we were lost and dead in our trespasses and sins and we were following after the kingdom of the prince of the air, Satan. Things are flipped, right? God's kingdom is not how it was intended to be. So God had intended humanity to represent him over creation. Adam and Eve failed. And then we see God developing, a, uh, it's not a new plan in God's perspective, but for us it is. 
You gotta understand with God, nothing is new. With God, it was always plan A. Never, never plan B and plan C. God was not surprised when Adam and Eve messed up and then said, oh, I gotta, I gotta fix that. I gotta, let me deal with it this way. No, he always knew how it would be. Take that and chew on it, okay? So God says, all right, humanity was supposed to represent me. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna change my plan a little bit. Abraham, he takes one man, Abraham, and he says to Abraham, I'm gonna build you into a nation of people. And this nation, Israel, is to represent me to everyone else on the earth. This nation is gonna be different. I'm gonna have a special relationship with this nation. Not exclusive, God was always open to other nations coming in and, and non-Jewish people. But God says, I'm gonna use this, this group of people. They're gonna worship me and it's gonna be different than every other, other country worshiping their God. Uh, they're going to, to trust me and I'm gonna bring them rain when they need rain and I'm gonna grow their crops when they need crops grown. I'm gonna make sure their herds and their flocks are always full and they're gonna treat one another with respect and the way they're gonna govern themselves is gonna be completely different and what's gonna happen is they're gonna be a light to all the other nations. Because as people come and they trade with them and they interact with these people in Israel, they're gonna see these people are different. And man, we really have to dance and, and do a number for our God to give us rain. They don't have to do that. Their God is so good, he gives them rain. And they don't have to even give up a child for that. And, and they're gonna see the way that they treat one another and they're say, you know, our people don't treat one another like that. And what it was supposed to do, what Israel was supposed to do is be a, a light to point others to this God. Again, see, you see the order. It was God, humanity represents God as they rule and represent him to creation. That got flipped. Now it's God is gonna rule through Israel. They are gonna represent God and his rule on earth to other people. But what happened with Israel? They couldn't, they couldn't stay the course. They, they couldn't get it right. And they instead started chasing after other gods. They started, they started going after these gods of these other countries. So what was supposed to happen was Israel influences other countries, but instead the other countries influence Israel. And so once again, things are flipped. Now, fast forward to the New Testament. Why is Jesus, this time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is near good news? Because when the people of the Old Testament, when Jewish people thought about this future day, they, they called it the kingdom of God. This day when, when God was going to send his king because God had promised to Israel, I'm gonna give you this land. Uh, he marked out this land for him. He says, this land is yours. I'm giving it to you, all of it. But you know, they've never had all of it. And he says, I'm gonna give you a king. He's gonna, he's gonna be from the, the family of David, the, the, the greatest king you've ever had. He's gonna be from the family of David. And he's gonna come and he's gonna rule you with perfect peace and perfect justice. And in him, all these promises that I'm giving you, they're gonna be fulfilled. There's gonna be a day where you're gonna have a kingdom. You're gonna have all your, your land. Your enemies are gonna leave you alone. And this king that you're gonna have, he's gonna represent me, God, and rule. And it's gonna be perfect peace and perfect justice. And there's gonna be harmony. They call that the kingdom of God. They're looking for a kingdom where God is gonna come. And you know, ever since things went south in the garden, things have been flipped. It's not just among humanity. You see, uh, before things got flipped in the garden, the atmosphere was balanced. Animals got along 
you know, all these Discovery Channel uh, documentaries where you see lions just pouncing on gazelles. Yeah, that didn't really happen. They didn't need to. That all comes later where we start seeing chaos and disorder enter because sin entered. And we get these natural disasters that are called by, caused by imbalances and pressures and, and things that are way above my head, but those things didn't happen. And ever since then, not just humanity is looking for God's kingdom, but the creation is looking for God's kingdom. Romans 8 says creation groans with us. When you have a tornado, that's creation groaning. When you have hurricanes, earthquakes, that's creation groaning. Expressing, saying, this is not how it's supposed to be. Things are not in harmony. And so when Jesus shows up on the scene then, you've got a group of people, these Jewish people, who were supposed to be looking for this kingdom. And he says, hey, the time is here. And the kingdom is near. That's why it's good news, because what Jesus is saying is, the time that God has been talking about when he's gonna bring this kingdom, it's called the Messianic age, it's called the kingdom of God, this time where you're looking forward to, it's here. And Jesus is him. And the kingdom, it's about to come. That's the good news because all of a sudden order, where order lacked, it's gonna be brought back. Where chaos ruled, order comes. Where, where there's imbalances and, and, and a lack of harmony, all of a sudden now that's gonna be restored. Where people didn't get along and where Israel's enemies were, were beating them and, and, and ruling over them, all of a sudden that's gonna be changed. And God's rule that has been flipped is gonna be returned. As he then rules through Jesus, humanity's ultimate representative, Israel's ultimate representative over all of creation. It's a good news message. And it should have brought hope to a people who are hopeless because when Jesus comes on the scene, you've got a group of people who missed it. They, they should have been looking for the kingdom, but they had changed their understanding of what the kingdom was. They were still looking for a kingdom, but they weren't looking for a relationship. They were looking for a kingdom that would come because they were ruled by Rome. They, they knew they had no king on the throne. They knew their enemies were ruling over them. They were being persecuted. They, they were looking for a kingdom but they were looking for a kingdom detached from a relationship with God. And God had always intended, this kingdom that I'm bringing, it will be in relationship with my people. It won't be detached. But I think the sad reality is when Jesus comes on the scene, the people are all too content with where they've settled. They've settled for a form of religion. They've settled for following rules and regulations. And some of them may have distant memories about this, this promise of God and this kingdom, but it's, it's been watered down and it's been influenced by generation after generation not following him or not following him fully. And so now they've gotten this concept that the kingdom is just gonna be physical and we're gonna have a king who's gonna come and, and overthrow Rome and then we're in. And that's never how God had designed it. So Jesus shows up on the scene. He says, the time is fulfilled. It's here. That time you've been waiting for, all creation has been groaning. It's here. I'm about to do something here. And the kingdom is near. That's the content. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom is here. There's near. It's a great message of hope. Should have been. What's my response? Because he gave content and he gives a response. Look back with me at verse 15. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. I've talked about repentance a little bit uh, the last couple of weeks. Repentance is a word that means I'm, I'm currently following something. It means I'm gonna turn away from it and follow something else. 
in the context of our Bible, it means I'm going to stop pursuing things that are not of God, other gods, forms of religion, whatever it is. I'm going to stop that and I'm going to instead turn back to God. Okay? Repent. I'm going to stop following what I'm currently following. I'm going to change my mind about what I believe about it. And instead, I'm going to turn toward God and change my mind about what I believe about God. So if my heart is hard and I don't believe in God, repentance means I stop following a path that does not believe in God. I change my, my way of thinking and I say, I, I believe in God and I'm going to follow God. Repentance. Repentance is a change of mind. Repent and believe. One action, two, just two different sides of the coin, right? So I'm, we're not talking about repent first and then believe. And that's what we've kind of gotten into, right? You got to clean up your life first, repent, and then after you've cleaned up your life enough, then believe. No, that's not what this is about. Repent and believe. It's just two sides of the same coin. I repent, and in turning away from those things, I believe. Okay? Not two separate things. I'm not currently following God. I'm going to repent, and I follow God. There's no necessarily clean up my life first, stop drinking, stop doing drugs, stop sleeping around, none of that stuff. I don't have to stop doing that stuff first, clean up enough to where it's acceptable by church folk, and then come believe. Now, Repentance has a change of lifestyle, absolutely. But what we've done in our cultures is we separated those two too much. And we say, have you repented? Have you, have you turned from your wicked ways? Well, now you need to believe God. Well, listen, if you turn from your wicked ways, then you should be believing God. And see, it's, it's just one action. Two, there's two sides of the same coin. Jesus says, repent and believe. Turn, turn away from following your false gods. Turn away from your hard hearts. Turn away from following this false, these just rules and regulations that you've just settled to be content with and instead turn back to God. Follow him. Learn from him. Love him. Repent and believe. That's what Jesus' message was. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom is near. There's your content. Repent and believe. That's the good news. That's the gospel that Jesus was preaching while he was walking the earth. That's the gospel that his disciples were preaching when Jesus was walking the earth. Hey, the kingdom of God is here. It's it's, it's near. It's almost here. Repent and believe. Prepare yourself for it. Turn back to God. That's the good news that he was preaching. So, we go on, and verses 16, 17, all the way through 20, we get an example of what this looks like. So, What does it look like then to repent and believe? What does it look like for a follower of Christ to repent and believe? Or someone who's not currently following Christ to repent and believe? We have two examples, Simon and Andrew. Simon, we also know as Peter, the guy who we get in his eyewitness account here in Mark. Simon and Peter. Look at verse 16. As he went along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother. Simon is Peter. Simon and Andrew, which is Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. Jesus said to him, follow me and I'll turn you into fishers of people. So they left their nets immediately and followed him. The priority of a disciple is to follow Christ. And this is the first time we get this word follow, right? And, and we talked about a little bit where we said, following means, yes, getting behind someone and following them. I'm gonna go where you go. But Jesus wasn't just inviting them on a road trip. I mean, he was. They were gonna go on a road trip together, but Jesus is inviting them to much more. As we go on this road trip, as you follow me, learn from me. Watch me. Listen to me. 
and then go be like me, right? Come follow me. So they're out there, they're throwing their nets and Jesus says, hey, let me teach you a new skill. You already know how to fish. Let me show you how to fish for people. You're pulling fish out of the sea. Now this is kind of, this is kind of neat. In the Old Testament, when you, when you read about the sea, a lot of times it describes the sea as something that's evil. And so to pull something out of the sea was to pull them from something evil. Jesus says, you, want, you fish for fish right now. Let me teach you how to fish for people, how to pull people out of judgment, how to pull people out of evil, out of darkness. Let me teach you how to bring light to people. Follow me. And what do they do? They put down their nets and they follow. I mean, Mark says immediately, and he, yell, he uses that word a whole lot. It's driving. He's always moving towards something. And it says immediately. Now, we don't know if they sat there and talked to one another first. We don't know if they, they considered it. We don't know if they'd already heard Jesus speak and they knew about him. We don't know. Mark's point is not any of that. Mark's point is their response. What does it look like to repent and believe? It means you follow Jesus. That when Jesus' invitation is here, you follow. Repent and believe. The priority of a disciple is to follow Jesus. And so they get up and they follow them. And then we get the second example in verse 19. Going on a little bit further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John. Now John is the one who wrote the Gospel of John and the first and second and third John and the book of Revelation. John. So James and John are fishing. Now they're with their dad, Zebedee. And they're mending nets. Verse 20, immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now James and John and their dad Zebedee, they seem to have a little bit more of a affluent business. How do we know that? Because they've got hired men, right? So they were a little bit further along. Maybe they had a bigger enterprise and so they've got people working for them. We don't, we don't see that with Simon and Andrew. And so it's important to notice this because James and John didn't just abandon their father. Right? So sometimes we'll read this and they're going, we're going, that's pretty irresponsible. You know, so following Jesus means I just walk away from all my responsibilities. Following Jesus means I just abandon everything. No. Following Jesus means you, you change your priorities. Right? So that, that following Jesus comes first and then everything else filters through that. See, Peter and, and Andrew fished again. They, you'll read in other gospels, they went back to fishing. And we don't know if as they were following Jesus, if along the way they fish. They probably fished. They got to eat, right? All right. And James and John, they very likely could have gone back and, and helped their dad. We don't know. Mark's purpose is their response at Jesus's invitation. They followed. It's not about being irresponsible. It's about your priorities. The priority of a disciple is to follow Christ. Your priorities get changed. So that following Christ becomes first and foremost Following Christ then is the filter through which everything else you do is run. Following Christ is, is then how you view your work. I'm at work, I follow Christ. Following Christ is how you view your family. I, I have a family, I'm gonna follow Christ as I lead my family or as I, as I shepherd my family or as I pour into my kids or, or whatever, or as I provide for them. I'm gonna follow Christ. Following Christ is what you do whenever you do whatever it is you do. It doesn't necessarily mean you walk away from everything you do. It may for some of you. Let's be honest, it may. And sometimes that's hard. And you know what? For, for these guys to walk away, Peter was married. Peter has a wife. We don't find that out here. We find that out later on in, 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 a, in a few verses because he has a mother-in-law, right? You can't get a mother-in-law unless you have a spouse. 
Peter was married. He just walked away from his business. Do you, do you think he forsook his family? We don't know, but I doubt that. I doubt he, he left his wife and any kids he may or may not have had to starve. He didn't. Following Christ just means you, you change your priorities. It's not being irresponsible. And so what does it look like to repent and believe? Repenting and believe means I follow Christ. I follow Jesus. Now here's, here's what we've done. We've created a separate category that Jesus never allowed for, that Jesus never included. See, for Jesus, as he said, repent and believe, and, and as he invited people to follow him, it was, I'm in. I'm gonna follow you. Whatever I'm doing, I'm gonna follow you. And these guys that follow Jesus, I guarantee you they probably didn't know when they started following him how much they were gonna be impacted. They didn't, they didn't know fully that when following Christ, they were all of a sudden gonna start changing the way they think about things as they learned from, from Jesus. They probably didn't know that they were gonna start changing the way they view certain people. You know, like those Samaritans, yuck, those half-breeds, right? All of a sudden, their racist problem was gone because they were following Christ. They didn't know that all of a sudden, the way they viewed sinners was going to change so that even Jesus can talk to a prostitute. Even Jesus can talk to a lady who had five husbands, four husbands, and is now living with a fifth man and not be influenced by that. See, for them, they would have avoided that. But as they follow him, they get to see him interact with people and they, they see that, that these walls that they've created, they come down. I guarantee you, they didn't know that. I mean, we're gonna see them as we keep going through the book of Mark struggling with some of this stuff. The way they think about how you get into the kingdom is gonna change. You mean if I'm rich, I don't get, it's not just about being rich because that's what people thought. The rich people get in because if they're rich, God's blessing them. When you follow Christ, it means I'm submitting my, my thinking and I'm gonna start thinking like Christ. When I follow Christ, it means I'm gonna start, start living like Christ. I'm gonna treat people like Jesus treated people. So that's what it is, I'm in. But we've created this, this other category, right? Repent and believe, I'm saved. That's it, I'm saved. I don't wanna do anything else. I mean, that's it, right? It's not a category Jesus had. Or we, we've created uh, this category where I repented, I believed, all right, I'm saved. Now I'm gonna just keep living the way I live because I got my insurance. Not a category Jesus allowed for. That came later. Paul had to address it in 1 Corinthians, in chapter two of 1 Corinthians, where he calls them carnal Christians. Christians who are living according to the flesh. Christians who are Christians by name and perhaps they really were Christians, but they're not following Christ. How do we get there? How do we get to the point where we say, Repent and believe, doesn't matter what you do next. Some of that's the church's fault. Not Houston, I'm saying the church. Big C, capital C, the church. All believers everywhere over all the years. Why? I think part of it is we've overemphasized evangelism. Here's what I mean. We, especially in American evangelicalism, have overemphasized evangelism. It's all about driving people to believe. And we've underemphasized discipleship, right? Jesus' command to his disciples at the end of his life after he was raised was not going to evangelize. It was going to make disciples of all nations. Evangelism is one step in the process of disciple making. But what we have created, church leaders, church cultures, church subculture, is overemphasizing evangelism. Evangelism is great. Should we do it? Absolutely. We don't stop there. 
right? And so what happens is we drive people to, to believe. We, we get them there and yes, they believe. Strike that one up for my team or for God's team or whatever mood I'm in at the moment. And then we leave them and we say, good luck. Praise the Lord, you're saved. Welcome to the family. And we never follow up with them. We, we hope they're in a good church. If we see that happen at the church, maybe we don't follow up with them and, and say, hey, Kate, now, now you've believed. Let me, let me come alongside me. Let me show you what it looks like to live now. Let me show you what this new life looks like. Let me help you understand what Jesus showed us was the better way. Let me, let me show you, let me teach you discipleship. I think that's one of the ways we've got there. We overemphasize evangelism and we underemphasize discipleship. Evangelism is one step in the process of discipleship. Discipleship never ends. Evangelism, one step. If you stop there and we don't follow up, I think that's a large reason why we have people who, yes, I'm a believer, yes, I'm a Christian, but they've never learned anything about what it looks like to follow Christ. And so in the name of Christianity, they can do whatever they want. They can support homosexuality and call it good and God's love and a, and, a, and a civil rights issue, all in the name of Christianity, because guess what? They believed, and somewhere along the line, they either stopped being discipled, they stopped being a disciple, or someone failed altogether to disciple them. That falls on us as believers, as disciples already. We are supposed to disciple people. See, Jesus told Simon and, and Andrew, I'm gonna make you fishers of people, right? So come follow me, be my disciple, and then I'm gonna teach you how to make disciples. It was an exponential thing. It just kept going. So you become a disciple and then you start discipling someone who then starts discipling someone and disciples get spread all across the world. That's how we got here today. That's how you, if you've placed your trust in Christ, that's how you got here today. Someone at some point was living out their beliefs, shared with you what they believed and you believed. Discipleship. Evangelism is one step in the process. And so if we fail to disciple, we get a bunch of people who are saved, possibly, and yet they don't follow Christ. And then you get a bunch of hypocrites. And then you get a bunch of people who are carnal Christians like Paul had to deal with. Discipleship. I think that's how we've gotten to this category that Jesus never allowed for. See, Jesus never said to Simon, Andrew, James, John, and all his other disciples, hey, follow me. I'm Jesus. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one you've been waiting for. I'm gonna go die. I'm gonna do that for your sins. I'm gonna raise again on the third day. You believe in me and you're good. Now, after that, it's up to you whether or not you wanna do the rest of this thing. Never did he say something like that. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm being a little uh, hyperbolic. I'm exaggerating for the sake of an example, but Jesus never allowed for that. You follow me, you're in. That means you're all in. That means your priorities get changed. It's not just my dessert. It's not something I get to if I eat my meal. Following Jesus is the meal. It's not just you know, something on my to-do list that I get to if I get everything else done beforehand. It tops my to-do list and everything else on my to-do list is filtered through that. It's not just something I do because the pastor says I'm supposed to follow Jesus or my parents said this is what it looks like or youth pastor or whoever it is. Following Jesus is not just something I do because someone else told me. It's something I do because I'm so captured by God's love for me that I can't help but do it. I can't help but follow him, learn more about this love. How could someone love me so much? Because guess what? I know me. And if you knew me, you wouldn't love me. And if I knew you, let's be honest, I may not love you, right? I mean, that's how we are when we lay down at night. We know who we are. 
We know thoughts that go through our heads. We know the ways that, that we just cut God short. Following Christ, following Jesus is what you do because you're captured by his love, because you're so compelled to learn more about him and to share that with others and to teach others to follow him. Repent and believe. Evangelism. Repent and believe. It starts there. Following Christ starts there. It does not stop there. It's got to keep going. There's got to be this process of discipleship. We have got to be doing discipleship. We have got to be teaching people what we know. We've got to be modeling for people how we live, assuming that that is following Christ. The only way people see that is not just seeing you on Wednesday nights, just seeing you on Sunday mornings. They need to be in your life. We've got to let people get close enough to see us do our life. How do we treat our kids? How does a, how does a disciple, how does a follower of Christ treat their kids? How does a follower of Christ treat their husband, treat their wife? I've shared with you some of my story. You know, before I, before I saw my pastor who had took me in and his wife, I had never seen a marriage not broken. Never. Never seen a marriage that had not been broken by divorce. Ever. And I'm not blaming my parents. I'm not, I'm not blaming anyone. That's just how it happened. The reality is I never saw what a marriage looked like where two people loved Christ and were committed until they took me in. And every Sunday for 10 years, I was able to be at their house after church, eat pancakes at their table, play with their kids, go to soccer games, and I got to see them have some arguments, you know, that they, they didn't air out really in front of me, but I, I have to look back and believe there was some of that that was intentional. I mean, we're not talking about like knock down, drag out fights, cursing at one another. We're talking about there's some tension here. And uh, anyone who's astute can pick up there's some tension here, right? And I got to see the way, even in the midst of that, they still respected one another, still loved one another. I got to see the way they disciplined their kids when their kids talked back or didn't, didn't obey. That's discipleship. It takes an investment. But I tell you what, it's because of their investment that I'm here today. It's because of their investment that I got on the path that, that God was able to just take me and put me on the path that I'm on and then model for me what does it look like to be a pastor? What does it look like to be a husband who loves his wife? What does a godly wife look like? And then I found one. And she looks a whole lot like his wife, servant, anticipating needs, loves people. Behind the scenes, but if you got a need, she's gonna learn it. That's exactly what my pastor's wife was like. And she influenced me, and guess what? That then influenced who I, who I was looking for and what I found attractive. That's discipleship. My thoughts change, my way of thinking changes, my way of living changes. The priority of a disciple is to follow Christ. Some of you this morning, uh, you, you are at that point where it's repent and believe. That's where you're at. You wanna know, what does it look like for me to follow Christ? What does it look like for me to make following Christ a priority? For some of you this morning, that is repenting and believing. You've been following after a path. Uh, maybe you have a hard, hardened heart towards God. You've seen things happen that you just can't believe God would ever allow. Or, or maybe you've been turned off by hypocritical Christians and they exist everywhere. And you said, if that's what Jesus and God is like, I don't want to be a part of it. Or maybe you've just never heard. And for some of you this morning, it's repenting and believing. And while Jesus preached the kingdom of God is near 
and fulfilled. That's, that's good news. And the, the good news is still that the kingdom's coming. The message has slightly been updated since then. Right? The kingdom's still coming, but the, the message has been updated. Jesus died for you, for me. And he did that so that you and I can have an avenue towards God. Because you remember how things got flipped in the garden? Well, sin entered the world. God is holy. God is just. A holy and a just God cannot be in relationship with someone who has sinned. And it's not just that we sin, it's that we are sinful. You see, it's not just that we do things bad, it's that we are corrupted in our very beings. And so God, God doesn't wait for someone to live a perfect life and then say, I'll accept you if you can do that. You can't do it because we're corrupted. And so God has wrath towards sin. He's got judgment. He's got to deal with it. If he doesn't deal with it, he sacrifices being God. He can't be just and not deal with sin. But how does a loving God balance justice and holiness? He has to take care of the payment for sin. He has to judge it. He has to give the, the penalty. But he also has to provide a way for us to get in. And those both took place in Jesus. So that when Jesus came and he died, there on that cross, God put all of his wrath towards sin on Christ. God's wrath towards sin is taken care of. Now, the question is, do you still live under that wrath? Because the way you get out from that wrath is by being in Christ. The way you get in Christ is repenting and believing, changing your, what you believe about God, changing what you believe about Jesus, and turning to God. Jesus died for your sin. He, it allowed you to have an avenue to God. When he rose again, he conquered death, gives us hope that this is not all there is to life. Things will get better. That's in the kingdom. You repent and you believe you're in. And now you're following Jesus next. So for some of you, starting to follow Christ means I need to repent and believe. I need to change what I believe about God, what I believe about Jesus, and I need to believe and consider that to be true and true for me. For others of you this morning, following, following after Jesus and making that priority, maybe sitting down and making a list, I don't know. You want to know what your priorities are? Look at your time. You want to know what your priorities are? Look at your money. You want to know what your priorities are? What do you give your attention to when you're under pressure, when you're stressed, when an emergency happens, when you just got to go bare bones? What stays? That's how you know your priorities. I mean, it's real quick. If you want to know your priorities, get, in, get yourself in an emergency situation. Get yourself in dire circumstances. Get yourself under pressure, under deadlines. You want to know what your priorities are? They come out. So for some of you, it's evaluating what are my priorities and are they being filtered through following Christ? Everything else should follow that. If I'm following Christ, it impacts my work, it impacts my family, it impacts all of my relationships, it impacts the way I live, it impacts everything I do. The priority of a disciple is following Christ, following Jesus. So where are you this morning? Do you need to repent and believe? If so, you can do that. Quietness of your heart. There's a prayer in the back of the bulletin if you want to look at that. A prayer does not save you, but it's a good guide of something maybe you need to, you need to say to God and make that your own. Or if you want to talk to someone about that after the service, uh, I'll be up here to, to talk about that a little bit. Or if you want to make an appointment, glad to do that. Talk to someone, maybe the person who brought you here. And others of you, maybe you need to sit down and do some evaluation. Where am I? What's my priorities? Let me pray for us. I'll invite the worship team up to do that. Father, uh, you know, we got a lot of things vying for our attention and our time. We got a lot of things that 
uh, pull us off course, demand our attention, our time, that the, the world and society tell us this is priority, this is priority. And yet, God, you made it very clear. The priority of a disciple is to follow you. Everything else comes after. So Lord, I pray for those who need to repent and believe this morning and they start their following you. I pray that you would draw them to you, that they might believe that Jesus died for their sins and rose again. They might have new life, enter the kingdom of God. I pray if they have questions about that, they'll find the courage to ask someone or that you would give them the answer somehow through someone that they're encountering. I pray for others who, Lord, who are, who are following Christ, but maybe their priorities are out of whack. We're all guilty of it. Show us our priorities. Give us time to self-evaluate. What does it look like to be a follower of Christ? Teach us, Lord, because we're desperate and we're desperately trying. In Jesus' name, amen.